Well, hi everybody and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. My name is Toby Miller and I'm in a small office with reasonably loud air conditioning on the campus of the Chinese University of Hong Kong with my new friend, Sam Kwong. How are you, Sam? Hi, everyone. I'm fine. Thanks. It's very nice to be here. And you're actually a graduate of this School of Journalism and Communication, is Yes, right? I uh, study yeah. here um, back in like 1998 mm -hmm. and was a journalism student. Right, right. And now you're working at a very exciting non-government organization. I sound like I'm doing a puff piece, a public <laughs> relations piece, but I'm really excited about this organization, Hong Kong Can, yes? Mm -hmm. So could you tell us a bit about that and also about your role there, perhaps? Mm -hmm. So uh, our NGO is uh, called Clean Air Network, so we exclusively focus on the uh, air pollution problems in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, we were founded in 2009. Uh, back then, uh, already like Hong Kong was suffering like really bad air pollution for yeah. almost a decade, I would say, at that time. And then, But uh, it seems like the issue was kind of a big concern among the expat uh, groups in Hong Kong, but not really down to the general public level. So uh, the idea was uh, actually coming out from an air conference. So a yes. lot of uh, uh, medical experts and also NGOs and um, mm -hmm. um, professors. Mm -hmm. To kind of uh, let more people to be concerned about the issue. So um, at that time also, because we noticed that uh, the general public public may not be as concerned about uh, environmental issue because they actually perceive that it's a bit distant to them because in Hong Kong uh, we're always preoccupied with like work and you know like jobs and all these kind of things so um, that may be a bit distant so we think of a new angle that is uh, public health because we know that like health is related to every single one of us and it really feels much mm. closer. Mm. So then uh, we started out to package um, air pollution not only as a green issue but like a critical public health issue. As a health issue. So yes. it hits home for everybody and implications for fertility, for children, for brain development, education, longevity of life at the other end of the cycle and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. So we like uh, we kind of collected all these studies and information mm. Mm. Um, uh, about like depths about uh, illnesses, and also the other thing is um, uh, in, uh, in the Hong Kong media they love numbers. So if you can give them yes. numbers and studies, they would like to report that, and so that is also one way that we can leverage on them to kind of get the um, message across. It's fascinating, isn't it, that on the one hand, so much of the bourgeois media is anti-intellectual. But on the other hand, they love science, <laughs> yes. even in a certain way, and science that appears to be usable. So the minute you have some fresh numbers you've generated, even if you're kind of bullshit corporate entity that is doing spurious research, you get coverage. Yes, totally, yeah. In Hong Kong, it's always the case. Uh -huh. That's fascinating. Now, you mentioned that when the first inklings arose that there was an air pollution problem here, was about 20 years ago now, 15 mm. years ago. What's the source of the problem? What causes air pollution here in Hong Kong? Well, basically, um, in Hong Kong, like back maybe like 20 years ago, there was uh, more or even more. Well, like we had the factories and, and then uh, we kind of um, had a law uh, passed in the early 90s that actually kept the uh, emission from all these factories. And so we got a, actually we got a quite significant drop 
mm-hmm. back then. And then also because of the um, kind of um, development in China, so most factories actually moved back to China. So actually we should have seen kind of like mm, a, an improvement. A, a improvement, but we didn't. That's because actually two main things. Um, first is the power plant. Uh, at the beginning, it was because um, it actually generated electricity, but using a lot of coal, so it's really polluting. And then um, gradually, it's about vehicles. We got all these mm. uh, diesel vehicles, and then uh, the longer they grow, uh, mm. the dirtier they become. So mm. that was like the two main issues um, yeah. at, the, at that time, basically. Right, right. So factories and diesel, despite clean air legislation and despite the removal of many factories by corporations from Hong Kong to mm-hmm. China. And what about air pollution that comes from China? Do you get any of that? We certainly, like um, Hong Kong, because of the fact that we're so close to China, mm. we do have mm. like the impact from China, basically, mm. especially during the winter time. So um, if we talk about the volume of pollution, yes, uh, they're coming from the China side. But um, actually, if we look at... Uh, public health perspective, um, it is more to like how close the source is to us, it's more relevant. And then if we look at that, then mm. we can actually see our own source, which is um, mainly the roadside, the diesel vehicles. Yeah. And also that is one that is uh, kind of, um, people pay less attention, is the marine emission in Hong Kong. Yes, and that's because of the number of ships that are in the harbour, big tankers. Exactly. It's the big, all this using bunker fuel uh, of the ocean-going vessels, like yeah. all the container ships. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Hong Kong is such an important entrepot in so many mm-hmm. ways, one of the most important ports in the world. So you get it from marine pollution, you get it from trucks, presumably, you get mm-hmm. it from consumer vehicles as well. And uh, what when you mentioned earlier that expats were the first mm-hmm. group interested in this or concerned. Why is that, do you think? I think in general, um, the idea of uh, kind of environmental protection, mm-hmm. like the first, like, very, uh, basically, basically started in the Western societies. So mm-hmm. they kind of like, maybe kind of know more about it uh, from the beginning. And then like, um, and also because in Hong Kong, like it's a very re- re- uh, realistic issue is for expats in Hong Kong, they have like, they don't, they, they have like job security. So they can have um, kind of like um, reach out to more kind of social issues or other issues. So that would also help them to kind of like pay more attention. So they often, in a sense, are in a privileged position. Mm-hmm to comment yes. in terms of job security, but also because they're from somewhere else and they could always go back. Exactly, that's enough. also the reason. So they can mm-hmm. stand up and be counted on these issues. But in terms of Hong Kong residents, locals, natives, the Chinese population more generally, it seems as though environmental consciousness is rising all the time. That's my impression. Is that right or is it always a problem? I would say uh, it kind of um, it, it takes time to actually the message actually get across. Like um, so, what happened was uh, at the beginning, um, when more, like kind of like a more educated population would be paying more attention, and also the young people because they got like education in schools, and mm. young people tend to also like pay more attention to different like issues because perhaps they have more time like when they're. Uh, mm-hmm. during education so that's how it started and then um, gradually more and more people but I would actually agree that like over all these years the awareness is uh, increasing certainly mm-hmm. yes. I mean for example in the Chinese case we see the Chinese government uh, 
investing very heavily in alternative fuel developments, alternative energy developments, and mm -hmm. so on, in, partly for economic reasons, but also for ecological ones. Right? Yes, indeed. I think it's also to do with um, two factors there. Like first, it's also like uh, they also have the growth of middle class, so. Uh, so they tend to then like after they kind of like settle all this um you know uh, job security mm -hmm. or living issue then they can also have more time or like um, um leisure to kind of pay attention to uh different issues right. and secondly actually it's the consequence of pollution that's coming out really strong that actually got caught people's attention yeah. for example all this uh, storm um the sandstorm that's actually results of all this pollution yeah and all this uh natural so-called natural disasters are not actually that natural because of all this pollution problem. Yeah. So that actually got them to kind of to focus. And yeah. with the rivers being polluted, the sky being mm. polluted, these extraordinary pink colors in Shanghai exactly. and so on. It's very visible to people. So uh, one of the accusations leveled in the West as mm. environmental movements is that they're very white mm -hmm. and they're very middle class. Mm. And they're educated, so they're like me, white, mm -hmm. middle class, educated, privileged, and so on. You've already mentioned education as a factor. What is the composition, would you say, of the environmental movement here in Hong Kong? What kind of social backgrounds do people come from? Mm, uh, in terms of, um, uh, I think it's uh, quite similar as in it first started out with some more kind of like more educated or mm. more middle class people mm. that uh, they started out maybe forming different NGOs yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. So it would, I would say it would be quite similar maybe to um, mm. cases in the Western societies. But then gradually it kind of uh, turned into um, more, uh, more general public uh, actually pay yeah. attention and young people as well. So young people across class. Yes, it's young people across class mm, for young people. Mm, and then but but if you uh, if, but if you really need to kind of um, if you really dig deep and see the class I would say it may be more still more like left oriented people yeah, right. would be more concerned about like general social issues and environmental ones definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of research, you mentioned the importance of this for getting media attention. Mm. But also, of course, those of us who see ourselves as environmentalists need that research to find out whether we're right or not in our suspicions. Where do you get most of your research from? Who does it? And how does it help you? Yeah, so basically for us, because we have a special uh, focus on public health issues, so we work a lot with the public health departments in Hong Kong, uh, mainly Hong Kong University and University of this university, Chinese university, yeah. and uh, and also we work with the environmental department in um, the University of Science and Technology. So basically, we work with uh, all these uh, universities in Hong Kong, and also um, we work uh, closely with a think tank in Hong Kong called Civic Exchange, and they have uh, one of the main concern is environmental issues. So they do a lot uh -huh. of research on that. Interesting. So. Uh when this research comes out in a scholarly form, you then promote it, or or you actually sponsor it and it comes, you publish it. How does it work? We because we are more kind of like an advocacy group. So what yeah. what what happens is uh, we will uh, actually uh, read the uh, research and all, uh, we try to simplify it. We will try to highlight some points, yeah, yeah. make powerpoints of it, or make like a more interesting leaflets. Because um, academics are boring <laughs> and incomprehensible and self-oriented. <laughs> it's so like distant <laughs> to the general public yeah. and it's 
too much yeah. to digest. So that's why yeah. we make it tend to make it more interesting. Yeah. Or like we even make animation out of it. For example, we actually recently make a animation of a marine emission problem. Um, uh -huh. So that like kind of uh, draw more um, interest of the people. Wow! Can you tell me about the the animation? That sounds interesting. The marine animation. Okay. What you did. So for this one is uh, the uh, the man, uh, the thing Tana mentioned, uh, yeah. Civic Exchange. Uh, they did a, a research about marine emission in Hong Kong and compare some of the measures in the world. So we. Uh, we, we got the research, we kind of digested it, and we make a three-minute animation telling people, actually in Hong Kong now, in terms of volume, number one emission source is actually from marine, and they're mainly from the container ships and cruise ships. And so we kind of uh, spell out the figures, and then we um, then tell people actually what kind of measures that Hong Kong can do to kind mm -hmm. of reduce mm -hmm. the emission, mm -hmm. such as um, when, the, uh, when the ships come to Hong Kong and berth, they have to switch to a cleaner field. That actually will reduce kind of 80% of the emissions overall. And that actually help a lot. And so, and also in the long term, we want to see something like what's already happened in Europe and in North America. They have these uh, things called emission control area. Basically what happened is once they, um, for example, in um, with Canada and uh, United States uh, in the, um, west side like northwest mm -hmm. they actually had um, um emission control area so the ships that actually coming within 200 miles mm -hmm. of the water they have immediately have to switch to cleaner field so then that area is uh, much cleaner so that was what we were uh, looking forward that hong kong can do with china in the future the pearl river delta yeah. areas turn into emission right. control area right right that's great so a lot of what you're doing is trying to get public opinion to move in a certain direction in order to influence public policy. Have exactly. I got that right? Yes. Right. So what, without wishing to give away secret, trade secrets, <laughs> of course, can you give me an example where that's worked? And can you give me an example maybe where it hasn't worked? Okay. Or where you're still beavering away to try to make that happen? Yeah. So uh, an example where it's worked. Mm -hmm. Examples for working one is... Um, Actually, there's one issue that we've been working for years, mm. which is uh, because, uh, as I said, in Hong Kong, the diesel vehicles is one of the big, big problems, and they're mainly from the diesel trucks. We mm. got really old models still running on the street, whereas in the other similar kind of developed societies, they already replaced. So what happened was, um, after years and years on promoting about this problem, the mm. uh, government finally, in 2013, they said that they're going to do something. On it, but um, they will. They encountered a lot of resistance from the transport sector because that means um, they have to pay off their pockets as well to replace. Even though the government is uh, actually giving them a big subsidy, so there's a lot of kind of negotiations. Mm -hmm. So what we do is uh, uh, we we did all this promotion before, and uh, and and in that specific year, we went mm -hmm. to lobby all the uh, legislators. We actually got the professors, medical professionals, uh, patients' organizations, that they said they will seldom actually come out to the public hearing in the mm. Legislative Council to wow. give their testimony on like how it's actually affecting mm. Um, mm. the health of the people. Mm. So we actually got like a lot of them to kind of come out, and students and schools as well, to kind of counterbalance the uh, transport sector. And finally, we got um, the law. Passed, which is the first one ever in Hong Kong that we actually have a 
date, a timeline to yeah. uh, mandate the replacement of the vehicle. That's great. So that was this, uh, a successful case, I would say. But um, for but but then actually a lot of times like we don't really have uh, that many successful cases for uh, our work. It's always like in all and also it always takes so long that uh, yeah you don't you don't know when it will actually eventually got done. But um, in terms of um, other stuff uh, that is actually very hard and really slowly progress is um, mm. when we talk about air pollution, it's actually a lot to do with transport management. In Hong Kong, the mindset of transport is all about cars. So, okay, we want the cars to be moving. So, okay, if they're not moving, if they're congested, we, we build more roads. And then it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Yeah. So we want to change the mindset, uh, not only uh, among the public, but also within the government officials. We need them to see transport as not only car-oriented, but also think for like the pedestrians, think for the cyclists, think for more like a kind of eco-sharing of the road. Yeah. But that is really getting nowhere so far. It's really hard to it's change. It's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Even when you have an excellent mass transit system, when you have a strong middle-class investment in the idea of personal automation, it's difficult to shape. Exactly. I mean, after 10 years living in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. I'm all too familiar with this problem. And the same in Mexico City, where the middle class does not want to get on buses mm -hmm. and does not want to get on subways, even though, like Hong Kong, they have a great mass transit system. And in LA, they're developing mm. a very good mass transit system, not as good as here, but they're developing it back to the point where it was 70 years ago, mm -hmm. before cars took over. But making that shift in people's mentality is difficult. Exactly. Now I'm living in London, where part of the problem is, like in Hong Kong, the roads are very narrow. Yes. So where is the space for bicycles mm -hmm. and pedestrians, given these other occupants of the road? But I, I think you're touching on an issue that must be a big one, even for a new non-government organization like Hong Kong Can, Clean Air Network. Namely, how do you stay positive as employees, as functionaries, as volunteers, as donors, when it's so hard to get anything done mm. and it takes so long? How do you guys avoid burnout? How do you come to the office each day feeling positive and getting things done? It's what very... inspires you, would you say? It's very true that like like sometimes when you don't see anything is really moving forward, like it can't help but you may feel a bit daunted. But um, what kind of like drive us to kind of go, keep going? Yeah. I suppose um, one of the thing is like actually um, like, like these days I will still go to different schools uh, or universities from time to time to give talks and yeah. like to educate the public. Um, indeed, like the young people actually give you a lot of encouragement mm. because like you can mm. see how like they are so like in the world they would tell like okay this is right and this is wrong so they would be supporting the right it doesn't matter whether it's how difficult in reality mm. they mm -hmm. don't care about like oh because of all this uh, fixed mindset or different things so they give you actually like a lot of encourage encouragement. encouragement so like that that actually help as well so i suppose that is uh, one of the factors and sometimes you see like uh, your work can actually um kind of uh, affect someone or like people told us that they uh, actually appreciate what we've done that will also help as well yeah 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 so like i suppose that is um kind of like and you know like there's always ups and downs in like sure. work so you know all sorts of work mm -hmm. but and I wonder if I could ask you a slightly personal question. I, just, I noticed that your necklace includes an umbrella. Yes. And I associate that with the umbrella democracy movement yes, here it in, is. in mm -hmm. Hong Kong. 
obviously your NGO is separate from that, the mm -hmm. NGO that you work with is separate from that, but could you talk a little bit about what you think might be different environmentally if there were a fuller democracy here in Hong uh, only answer that if you feel comfortable. To no, no, so no, no, no. I'm actually, uh, actually, uh, totally fine with it because, um, in fact, um, there's actually uh, some some experiment we did during the occupation that is actually relevant to uh, the issue. Air pollution. Okay. Yeah. What happened was the the students uh, occupied the whole uh, eight lane um, um, highway in Hong Kong uh, in uh, the outside the government um, complex, right? So during that time. When we look at uh, the air pollution uh -huh. level at that area, it's really, like, really clean the air, and people, the pedestrians, um, the uh, the working people, all can feel it. They actually talk about how like they can enjoy fresh air, and they actually enjoy walking outside along the road. There's no cars, and then they can kind of have their lunch break there, which is actually a very good experiment that yes. people actually started to rethink like some working people actually said you know what they never think of walking to work like not like all the way from home maybe but maybe from a certain spot like mm. from a certain station mm -hmm. then walk to work mm -hmm. they, they feel that it's a, such a new experience and make them rethink about like you know cars public space mm. that kind of um, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, function of all this kind of thing like so actually it's a very good uh, exercise and during the uh, uh, Occupy movement is Ironically, in the whole Hong Kong, we still can't do um, recycling of waste, uh, kind of, uh, you know, like uh, sorting out plastics from paper and from general waste. Mm -hmm. During the Occupy movement, a lot of um, um, activists, they actually encourage this kind of uh, behavior. And then in Hong Kong, it's the only during in, in, the, in the Occupy movement time and that, that area, actually our rubbish actually got sorted, like recycled. So it's all like this kind of like tell you that um, the community, the people actually have a different imaginations of like how a society can run. So that is actually a very good um, kind of like um, example of like if we it kind of um, see that like if we have a full democracy, people can get to decide what they want to do. I think all these kind of issues will actually go forward more. Mm. That's my mm. um, kind of... Um, so you Opinion. see a real, real connection. Yeah, that's wonderful. And again, it's young people taking yes. the lead. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. Could we, uh, just focusing on the NGO again for a moment. So you started in 2009, yes. is that right? The, mm -hmm. the organizer. And were you there from the beginning? I, uh, the, the, uh, I was, more or less, yes. They started in June and I was, uh, I was there in September. And what's the title of your job? At first, I was uh, the campaign manager, and then uh, I stayed for like uh, two years around, and then I left in the middle, like for a year, because I was away from Hong Kong. And then I came back, and then um, at that time, the, uh, the uh, CEO has left, so then I become the CEO. Oh, you're the CEO of the whole mm -hmm. thing. Okay. Um, and again, please, obviously, don't answer anything you don't you don't wish to. Uh, I'm interested, though, in how it gets funded, what sorts of supporters mm -hmm. it has. I noticed on the website, which is a great website, um, the address... It's uh, Hong Kong Can, um, you spell the full thing, H-O-N-G-K-O-N-G-C-A-N dot O-R-G. It's a great website, and we've discovered that you can download the applications for iPhones yes. from the iPhone store in either any of Hong Kong, UK, the UK, or the US. US. I did it earlier today, and it gives great daily updates mm -hmm. on the air 
pollution index in different parts of Hong Kong. So um, I'm interested in the source of funding, and I mm -hmm. notice on the website you appeal for donations and so on. So is it uh, very much donations from members of the public, or is it big foundations? How do you survive? As it well, were? basically in Hong Kong, I think the concept of an entirely advocacy group is still kind of new so mm, um, mm. people tend to donate like general public tend to donate to someone that give direct services like maybe for the sick people or for the poor people yes whereas for us because uh, what we do is actually um, kind of like driving policy change mm. so it's not mm. very direct yeah so in that sense like we, we do have like a, a public donation but the portion is pretty small so right. mainly we are uh, relying on um, a few uh, private foundations or family mm. trusts mm. to kind of sustain our work we yeah. are but we are a tiny organization we only have four and a half staff so yeah they don't have to pay all that much mm -hmm. to make it work so that's interesting when you say people are used to services for the poor the sick the infirm the elderly they're not used to supporting advocacy so that's part of your role, I guess, to explain mm -hmm. to people what the third sector is. Yes. yes. What civil society can be. Yes. It's like, mm. uh, in fact, even for the uh, uh, corporate, um, they are like nowadays because of this new trend called corporate social responsibility, quite some big companies will set up a team like focusing on this. But then they are still kind of new in Hong Kong and then like they. Yeah, so basically they, they always want a kind of like a, from a corporate mindset, they yeah. want some kind of measurements. They want some yeah. assessment. Return, return that is on investment. Numbers again. Like you need some numbers. So like, okay, if I, um, uh, if I support you, like if, let's say if I'm a kind of a waste reduction organization, that mm. is easier because mm. I can tell, oh, yeah. at the end of the program, we recycle certain amounts of plastics or paper. So you can actually measure that. Whereas for us, it's very difficult actually to, get the message across mm. how like to kind of measure our impact and so like a lot of the times like we don't have uh, success basically when we go uh, to the corporate to explain that so it's uh, still new like we got a few uh, foundations that they accept the concepts of mm -hmm. advocacy so that's why we can get the funding from them right. but in general yes it is quite hard to kind mm. of explain the concept. Mm. And I guess other advocacy organizations and you share this problem. I mean, not just in Hong Kong. I think mm -hmm. it's the case everywhere. Yes. Where is the product? What is it that you're actually doing is the question that's asked. So it, uh, it raises the interesting question of explaining, and I think this is as true anywhere else as it is here, the idea of civil society in terms of opinion mm -hmm. and not just in terms of service. That's an idea that has to be gotten across. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and legitimized. So there are four and a half of you. <laughs> what do the four and a half of you do? <laughs> so well, basically um, what we do is um, we, we have a four main areas of our job. So one is um, we uh, actually when, when Ken started it was kind of like the uh, peak time that like Facebook was popular in Hong Kong. Like first popular with like all this fan page and things like people like to add all these pages. So we actually took the, uh, kind of seized the chance to uh, open up our page and got kind of more um, interest and attention there. So yeah. we, we spent quite a lot of time actually on social media other than Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and all this giving different information about um, pollution about the whole world basically. So that's what like one of the uh, our staff will be focused on that. Yes. And then the other one like uh, 
he's more focused on organizing activities, uh, yeah. some campaigns to uh, attract the media and the general public to John. Yeah. Um, and then one other uh, colleagues, uh, he's focused more on um, kind of political lobbying. So it's a lot of um, maybe kind of um, dealing with the governments, the lawmakers, mm -hmm. and also going to all these public hearings, writing position papers yeah. about policy. Yeah. And then it's me, like so. Basically, I do all the things that is right. anything that's concerned, and also fundraising. Um, and then uh, one more staff, the part-time staff, will be doing some kind of main work. Wow, that's fantastic! Do you have a core group of volunteers that you rely on? Yes, uh, we have um, um, kind of like um, really core group. It will be only maybe like five or six volunteers. Mm -hmm. But when when it comes to like big event, like each year we organize a big event for students, um, like. 300 to 500 students will join uh, the event. It's like a scavenger hunt in the city. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And then during yeah. the process, they can learn different facts about air pollution. So that is kind of fun and educational as well. And during those big kind of events, we have around like 80 to 100 volunteers. And they are mainly from students and also from corporate um, staff that they mm. will do kind of some volunteering work. Wow. So do you engage in... Well, sorry, not do you engage. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the different kinds of activism you do. Mm. You've mentioned the scavenger hunt to raise consciousness. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned the animation mm. to find a way of communicating things about marine-based problems here mm -hmm. in Hong Kong Harbour. What about direct action? Action like, for example, the students occupying part of Central and mm -hmm. taking away mm -hmm. automotive access? Well, uh, one year we did a flash mob in mm -hmm. uh, Causeway Bay, which is one of the very busy areas in Hong Kong. And so we all like dropped that for uh, three minutes and to tell people that like every day there's like um, in Hong Kong, basically at least seven people die because of air pollution. So we want to kind of give that message out that people actually die. So that's mm -hmm. the flash mob we did. And then um, other more direct action is we kind of... Um, uh, petition to the to the government. So we mm. we have like we collected signatures and um, then we handed petitions to the government officials and asking for certain policies mm. to be implemented. So that's some kind of more kind of direct action. Mm. I would say. Mm. Mm. And what do you think is the efficacy of a signed petition versus clicking, Just doing it online? Uh, in terms of impact or in terms of what do you mean? Well, I, I was thinking of impact, but also I guess there's a question about how you recruit people to do it. Uh -huh. It's easy to get people to click, uh -huh. but some politicians in some countries are much more impressed by people signing. Yeah, so basically what we do is we do both. So we will def certainly have a web, like you know, social media, and then we will tell people that we have this petition and ask everyone mm. to sign. Mm. But also, we also actually go to like universities and schools when we give talks. We yeah. then tell them about the petition that they can sign like immediately or in different fairs. And also, sometimes we set up like a street booth to collect um, signatures as well. Right. So we got all this together, and so there's some kind of like. Uh, hard copies of yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. to hand that yeah. to them. Mm -hmm. And in terms of opposition to what you do, you've mentioned the transport lobby mm -hmm. being opposed to diesel regulation. Are there other groups or particular industries that, in a sense, become, I, should, I don't want to say enemies, but opponents in a certain sense? 
Yeah, basically the uh, because when we talk about pollution, particularly in Hong Kong, is mm. to do with vehicles, mm. and so most of the time it will be the transport uh, sector, basically, mm. and specifically is the trucks and the, and then the union of like um, the some of the trucks company. Yeah. So they will be the main resistance, I would say, yeah. in terms of all this, and also um, when we we also even for the uh, franchise buses sometimes, but like. To them, because they are kind of like a big corporation in Hong Kong, so they have to also concern about their image. So in that sense, they will not like they will do do something sometimes, and then um, yeah. So so it's uh sometimes they may be, but like relatively actually stronger would be the trucks kind of unions. And right, right. People. And do you ever meet with them to try to talk about these issues? Uh, actually, at the beginning, when we first when the government did nothing. Uh, we also think because uh, of the fact that like we never had that kind of law in the beginning, so we thought mm. it would be good the government can give some incentives. So at that time, we actually joined with some uh, trucks associations um, and and kind of like asked for the government to mm. give them some carrots, not only mm. the steak. So yeah. then it can work. But when the government finally decided to give carrots and steak, then. Uh, then we kind of like have different kind of yeah, um, we part ways. opinion. So yeah. Yeah, it gets complicated. Mm. Are public relations firms involved? Do these union groups representing, say, trucks, hire PR firms to do spin for them? What happened is um, actually they don't. They don't. They don't. Um, they don't employ. Um, well, some some of them may may do that, but like the main. I think the main thing is actually not from that. But like they're very clever in um, in, in in playing this kind of. Things as in they would actually um, find some cases that is because in Hong Kong there's a lot of individual operators, mm -hmm. individual mm -hmm. owners of one truck, and then they're kind of like uh, really, really um, grassroots, and then they can't really uh, afford to kind of change, and so they kind of always play out these cases, tell the media, oh, like how poor they are, like how like oh the government is actually kind of pushing them hard or something. So so they kind of like and the media like these stories. So then this successful in this way to kind of get yeah. people. Whereas the reality is they're representing many more corporate interests. Yes. Mm -hmm. But when they make it look like this honest Joe exactly. or Josephine, the truck driver who is the one person operation mm -hmm. being destroyed by government regulation, he or she becomes heroic. And yeah, I mean, and of course you do that too. Seek to find spectacular examples. Seven people dropping dead in a flash mob. Yeah. Appearing to and so on. I mean, and that's part of the, the dance that goes on, yes. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because we can't just rely on scientific rationality and reason yes. and data. Mm -hmm. There's also a contest of will, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, and story so, is always uh, interesting story. and attractive. Yeah. 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 I wondered if we could talk about that for a moment in terms of your background. Mm, okay. Because one of the interesting things often for listeners to the podcast is how did Sum get to be who she is? Mm, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So. You're running this NGO for which you used to work as a campaign advocate. You graduated from this school, Journalism mm -hmm. Communication, in 98. How did you spend your time between nine, I mean, in 98 and 2009? Yeah, so basically, I, uh, yeah, I started out at 98 and I graduated in 2002. So, oh, right. so since yes. then, I, um, I actually. Um, 
I actually work uh, for a few different kind of jobs first. Like I, I work in the uh, because of my background was journalism, so yes. I actually work in the radio uh, television Hong Kong for nine months, and then I worked in the government for uh -huh. a year, and um, then I actually uh, was a research assistant in this new, in uh, this department, the Chinese oh, University back here. here, back okay. here for two years, and uh, so I got kind of like, but but. For me, I always kind of want to work in the public sector. I want to do something that is. Um, I don't like the private sector, so like mm. I just like set out to think like, okay, I would like to work in different public sectors. So, mm. and then um, and then uh, at the beginning, I actually was thinking about kind of pursue my studies to do a PhD. But like after I did a master, I then realized um seems like I, I like more kind of action, yeah, more direct action. So I, I then I decided that I want to do something that is work not like academic side mm -hmm. so um and i actually i was always have a like i i always like 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 to kind of work in an ngo because um since i was young i was always a volunteer for different ngos and uh, all these right. charity groups so it's kind of like um i i always had that in me so then when the opportunity comes up uh, about like uh, an ngo then i just happily it and I also myself I would say I'm quite um, I would say I'm quite environmentally concerned like if I could I would try to like be um, green like to be a green person mm -hmm. so that is also one of my main interests as well and now I'm actually writing a column on um, green living once a week so about like different green issues and how in a more lifestyle kind of kind mm -hmm. of way and that's in Cantonese that's in yes. That's in where does that appear? It's in a in a magazine called um, Ming Pao Weekly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a in Hong Kong. It's quite interesting. We always have this uh, magazine that is a combined magazine. They have two books. One book is like tabloids or like entertainment, mm -hmm. and the other would be more kind of like serious or like uh, some is like sometimes it's lifestyle. For my case, is a uh, one. The book A is called uh, like more tabloid and uh, entertainment news. Then the book B is like a lifestyle. So awesome. I wrote in that. Vegan boots I'm wearing. Oh, cool! Yeah, this is actually not like leather; that is uh -huh. fake. <laughs> so that's interesting. Your background is a journalistic practitioner, a public policy worker, a scholar, a volunteer, an advocate. You do all these things in, or you've done all these things in your background. And that, I think, puts you in a very strong position to do the kind of work you're now embarked on. It's really fascinating. Could I ask you, I've just got two more questions if that's all right, a little bit about the column that you write, mm. the Green Living column. Mm. That sounds very interesting. What sorts of themes do you address there? So basically, because uh, we want... Um, Although, like so, uh, sometimes we said the media like numbers and all that kind of thing, but sometimes it's too dry and too hard, right? So we want to also attract another kind of audience that maybe they um, kind of they don't read that much hard news. They, it's kind of more softer approach. Oh, so um, yeah. in this lifestyle magazines, um, they talk about more kind of soft things, but they want also want to get some, the message, of course, to kind yes. of like get get the people to actually learn a bit more. So mm -hmm. that's the idea of the column. And then, so we set out to like, we want to give them some kind of like, 
scientific um, elements that is like maybe some studies or some research, but then we don't want it to be too dry. We want it to be more like an interesting way. So that is how the idea started. And so now I'm writing once a week. So I'm trying to like bring in a green issue that, but then kind of really related it to like kind of everyday life that people feel that it's kind of, yeah, it's like they will encounter in life and it's not all like dry about like, like, uh, uh, pollution problem and that kind of more like something that people can also contribute like mm-hmm. they can feel like there's some big two things that they can do and they can feel like uh, positive like you know um, we actually earlier we mentioned like sometimes it's all you, you, you hear all these negative things you just feel like oh don't want to do anything pessimistic right? it's all impossible what's the yes. point whereas like uh, these columnists are trying to say something that like maybe it's not a big step it's just like tiny steps small mm-hmm. things but actually mm-hmm. everyone can do mm-hmm. so that is mm-hmm. kind of like making people feel like, okay, it's not like, uh, I can do this, like, I can do this far. Maybe I cannot do that much, but I can at least do this. Mm. And, of course, one of the big things about that is that it also makes them into environmentalists. So when it comes to voting or to policy issues, they're likely to weigh up in their deliberations as citizens the importance of these issues in a way that is more engaged Mm -hmm. and more informed than would otherwise be the case. So my second question, the last one, is uh, where does the NGO go to from now? What does the Hong Kong Clean Air Network have as its vision? You know, where do you see the network in five years' time? Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is, uh, we, 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 when we set up as a network, we want to, because we bring in the public health issues as well, so we work a lot with the doctors and uh, uh medical organizations and patients associations so we want to bring them in as well and then we work with like parents and kids because they are the kids are more vulnerable to this problem Mm -hmm. so we kind of network different kind of different groups of these people and obviously we work with different NGOs so so we 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 will keep kind of like uh, maintain and try to expand expand more to include more people and recently we actually want to kind of um because we want to draw more people. So we work with art groups as well to kind of expand to the art community and also to the cycling community. So that is like, we, we try to, basically in five years time, we want to expand to all these different communities. Yes. And in terms of the whole policy, at first, like, because uh, because we know the, the Im- immediate problem is from all these vehicles, we work on kind of replacing these vehicles. We call that kind of end of pipe solutions. So it's um, basically replacing other dirty things but we want to work like not only that but for more kind of like a as I mentioned earlier about the mindset to change like mm-hmm. and it's not we cannot only rely on the environmental department to do work we no. want to change the no. transport department and yeah. then we want to change like the, even the development because like that's actually a lot to do with urban planning so yeah. in five years times we want to like not only that we want to get people when they think about air pollution they not only think about it's green issue a public health issue it's a transport issue that yeah. we want to like people that kind of like said that like when they think about air pollution yes transport and then to like maybe in five I don't think we can do it in five years times but after that maybe more to like kind of like a development issue like an urban planning that kind of thing so wow. that is the That's exciting. Can I come back and talk to you again as your plans emerge and as they become incarnate? Sure, of course. mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you so much. It was great to chat.